Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's the final show of May. Can you believe it's already May 30th? It's hard to believe. Is that? It's the rare <laughs> fifth Saturday of the month. Oh, yeah. There's only like four of them a year, I think. What a treat. Five, yeah. five mortgage matters in one month. What a treat. Wow. More bang for your buck. Right? Yeah. That's right. For all those paying subscribers. Yeah. Yeah. This show is free 99 for most of the listeners. <laughs> and it's great information for free 99. Right. There you are. That's that's how I feel about it. All right. Well, what's new? Not a whole not lot. Not a whole lot. No. No, not a lot. Are you getting ready for the new recession? The new recession. No? <laughs> we're on. about to find out soon if we're in a recession or we not. Are. We're approaching the end of a a second quarter and the first quarter wasn't so good as we found out this week. Well, I again, mean again, found out again. We knew it was bad. It was in- plus 0.2%. And then this week it was finalized uh, at a minus 0.7. And Dan, the definition of a recession? It's two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. There you go. So, so we're halfway one. to a recession. We got one. And that was first quarter. So, I mean, that nothing you can do about that one now. Now you can just sit and hope that second quarter here. Did we, did we find out if that was the final reading? You know, I didn't see words like final, but um, lots of things like revision. And so I, I would imagine that when you've revised what was your standing number, you're you're essentially saying this is today's final. Yeah, I know they do like three readings of those. I'll be awfully suspect if they go and change it from this negative back to a positive. <sighs> yeah, that's a pretty big downward revision, almost a full percentage point down. Interesting timing, isn't it? Considering the Fed just talking about raising interest rates and all these kinds of things. And now right there, smack dab. I mean, and there was a there was a fair amount of excuses made for why first quarter wasn't great. Largely uh, energy based. Right. Weather. Weather, too. Weather. Uh, But but yeah, energy, uh, that strong dollar had some pretty, uh, pretty terrible um, trade numbers. Uh, for the trade balance, you know, import export. Uh, so I'm surprised. I, I wouldn't figured it would have finished up negative, but here we are. Now you have a no doubter negative number for the first quarter. Well, and so all the all the downbeat news is is being tempered by expectations for a, a much stronger second, third, fourth quarter. Second half of the year is really gonna gonna pick us back up and get us to some kind of normal year year uh 2015 year gdp it seems like 
like nothing more than talk and speculation. It's it, you know, what I've heard more and what I'm what I'm starting to believe is there's all this talk that the low gas prices are going to spur consumer spending and you know what that, low it was gas really, prices it was really though. just the weather that was holding people back the first three months of the year. And I don't know that I believe all that. I yeah, the low gas prices didn't stick around. I don't think people are immediately upon seeing a dollar less at the pump are going to just start going and spending more money. I think that's when people start to put a little more into the bank account, start to feel like they have some ability to save a, a, a penny here and there, you know, cause that wasn't even an option. Um, and, and I don't think people are immediately going out and spending. They want to build some reserves before they then feel comfortable to go out and spend their excess residual cash flow. And I don't think they ever got that opportunity to save anything that made them feel comfortable again. And of course, you know, I'm talking about the mass, the, the mass population, not yeah. anyone in particular. Uh, do you find that we make a lot of excuses for headlines and we're, all, we're always looking for why something wasn't what it really should have been? I mean, you guys are just, you're asleep at the wheel. Retail sales, yeah, the numbers weren't. No, they weren't great, but here's why. So don't don't let that... Don't let that be your wet blanket. Yeah. Listen to this headline. <laughs> here's why the new Wall Street is measuring. Um, here's the new way Wall Street is measuring the U.S. economy. Opening line. Move over GDP. GDI is the new improved way everyone is measuring the economy. So here's part of your problem. Sitting there talking about GDP. That doesn't even matter anymore. Um, it's all about gross domestic income, um, which is just a better picture than um, – and in the first quarter, Dan, I, I want you to know if you're bummed about GDP, the GDI actually rose 1.4%. So it's all good. The difference between the two is that GDP measures what the economy produces, right? Good services, technology, intellectual property, while GDI – Measures what the economy makes, like wages, profits, and taxes. It's like a way of allowing inflation. <laughs> or, I mean, I don't. I guess inflation hasn't been that great of a number, but um, interestingly enough, what an uh, economy produces versus what an economy makes. Sure, like profits. Yeah. Producing is like in terms of your uh, your your widgets, right? All of the little things that it you could actually be inventory, make. Inventory figures, like businesses stocking up inventory, but not a consumer necessarily buying that. That sure. could make up part of GDP. Right. Whereas GDI, as I'm understanding it, is really only the sold goods. The, the dollars generated. What's going on with the wages? How is that affecting the profits and then overall um, the taxes? Interesting. And listen here, man. Here's the quote. It's a useful cross-check on the often noisy quarterly GDP figures. Year, over the prior year, the real GDI, which is adjusted for inflation, rose 3.6 in the first quarter. Um, so, yeah, just... Is it a distractionary tactic? 
moving away from GDP now? Just are we in such a culture now of making excuses that we need to abandon metrics always used to judge the production of the U.S. economy and now switch to um, the other method? Hmm. I, just, I thought that was interesting. It's pretty wild. What do you think it's – do you think this is going to – factor in on, on if the weight, nothing on the else rates? i think it's supposed to water it down uh you know just the sentiment hey now at least you know if if you had a problem with a first quarter of negative gdp don't worry there was positive gdi so you actually need not lay awake tonight and worry that oh no no, no. i'm uh, gdi no one's talking about gdi except <laughs> for you right now so what I'm what I'm asking, I am what here I'm to keep you on the economical I, cutting edge. Hey, I appreciate All week that. you're going to be seeing this new GDI number, sure. and you're going to be loving it. I'm like, I, hey, I heard it first. Here. Yeah, it was this yeah. this guy I know. No, what I'm what I'm wondering is, do you think the GDP reading is going to delay further delay rate increases by the Fed? Do you think we're looking at rate increases now that we have this piece of data? Do you think we're going to see rates increase in 2015? Um, I, I've, I've officially, I'm on the bandwagon now of no rate increases in 2015. I think we're off to 2016 now. Um, interestingly enough, though, let's see. Remember Nomura? You I do remember Nomura. Yeah, they they popped at- up in this same article here. Lou Alexander and his team at Nomura pointed out that the Fed minutes from the April meeting, right, um, noted that there was a recurring pattern in the seasonally adjusted first quarter GDP data, um, which gives the Fed's confidence to look through some of the first quarter weaknesses. So these guys that are obviously smarter than I am think the Feds have already recognized and accounted for this, and it doesn't shake their confidence in the plan they have today. Um, but no, I don't think so. I mean, I think the Feds, if anything, you already they already knew at the April meeting that we had a, a 0.2% growth with the possibility, you know, two more revisions to possibly boost it up or drag it down. And is anyone terribly surprised that the number was ultimately cut? Uh, I wasn't expecting a negative number. I wasn't expecting to learn that the economy actually... Um, contracted contracted yeah. in the first quarter. I wasn't expecting that, that the economy contracted in the quarter that the Dow is like flirting 18.5, trying to set all-time highs. How does that happen uh, where you your economy is technically mathematically contracting, but the um, such a significant thing like the Dow is pushing all-time highs? It makes me further think that maybe the feds are right that the stock markets are slightly overvalued right now. They're looking for a brighter tomorrow. It's been said. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Hmm. Interestingly enough, when you finish up the article about the GDI, um, what it says is that no matter what, though, it this report doesn't show that the U.S. economy is in boom mode either. Um Talking about manufacturing data last week was pretty bad. Um, consumer confidence uh, w- was pretty rough also in the month of April. Um, 
And the only, you know, the only good news that we can see mostly around here uh, is in the housing numbers. And those numbers kind of seem to be just because there's a there's a a pre a pre built economy in housing right now just because of the shortage crisis. So if you're involved in housing or or looking at the housing numbers, looking at housing to give you some overall indication of the strength of the economy, uh, you have to the takeaway from housing has to be that we're doing pretty good, right? So there you have it. I'm just reading here that the second quarter, they've done a second quarter estimate of GDP, the second of three estimates. Oh, don't be negative. Don't no, it's positive. Negative. It's okay. positive 0.8%. So there's already a lot of optimism that the second quarter is going to show a rebound, a 0.8% um, increase in GDP would point to an annualized rate of somewhere between 2 and 2.5% 2 is what they're saying, which doesn't quite add up to for me, but... I'm going to go with it. What's well, good news? Yeah. Now we need to squeeze um But they're citing so they're saying here that that the first quarter the reason for such a bad first quarter mark for a second straight year, so two years in a row that the first quarter has really been dismal. We've had bad weather, you mentioned energy, and export slump caused by the higher valued dollar. That doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. I mean, we're we're seeing little to no inflation. Some some readings lately have shown negative inflation. So that's and we've seen the dollar trade. You know, the dollar's been so strong. You go travel to Europe right now. Your dollar buys you a dollar buys you a euro, which I can't remember the last time it's been like that. So our goods look less attractive overseas. Where it's going to make it a really hard environment to sell goods and from here overseas. So that's going to, until, I think that's probably one of the biggest factors. I'm, I'm curious what the the domestic purchasing versus the export, you know, numbers are. I wonder how much trade that makes balance? it. Trade balance? I mean, is that trade balance? Ultimately trade balance. No, yeah. Is that just what we're bringing in versus it's what a, we're sending out? I'm talking about what we produce here, how much of it's purchased here, and how much of it's purchased abroad. Oh. I don't know the answer to that question. See, now we need somebody smarter than us. One of the one of the big things though, I mean, I think about everything that's that is manufactured here in the US, that's difficult for you to start writing a list down, right? I mean, we could we could just start it's tough with. Tough to know anymore. Let's just look around the room, though. Let's just start naming off things. If it doesn't like proudly boast made in the USA across the front, right. it's you don't probably even know. not. Uh, it, most of it is not, though, right? I mean, we that's why we have such the uh, the trade imbalance that we bring in so much more than we send out. So you got to imagine that most of what is turns out to be made in the US is is probably not even being consumed in the US but being shipped elsewhere because we're so you're making my point here the fact if that's if that assumption's correct and the fact that it's so hard to now peddle our goods overseas because of the dollar being so strong now that's going to make it hard to get a good GDP number yeah huh. and that could be the way things are going forward Maybe we need to lower our expectations from 3% growth 
You yeah. can't. That's do that. always kind of been the benchmark of a of a healthy, strong economy is three percent growth. You can't do that. Sorry. You gotta be growing. You gotta be growing. Is Capitalism has gotta be <laughs> expanding or else it's in trouble. Or that's, else it's or that's else one it's of the challenges with the capitalist model, yeah. honestly. I mean, it, I don't I don't think we're actually there yet. I think there is obviously still plenty of room for growth, but um that's that's one of the the big chinks in the armor. Guys, it's uh, 921, so we're going to go ahead and do the first commercial break. Jim, do we have new commercials? We do. <laughs> we do have new commercials. Just, I mean, <laughs> yeah, just just, just put in just minutes ago. Are we ready for them? Um, we are. Yes, we are ready for them. I'm going to move one around. Okay. And bingo. Bango, bongo. Bongo. Here we go. See if you recognize these <laughs> smooth pipes voicing this commercial. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have new commercials. They make me do it. We'll be back in another minute with your uh, more, more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games, I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Like maybe being in the city. All right, everybody, welcome back. We weren't done with our commercial conversation, uh, but uh, okay, we're back. We're back. We're back. That was a good commercial. I like that one. That's one of my favorites. 
Yeah, that's that actually was really good. Very concise to the point. That one was just spoken from the heart. There you are. Well, you know, it's true, though. Yeah, I mean, and, it is. and this radio program is really um, one of the things about our business that I really do love is uh, it's this is a live radio show. And if we were systematically taking advantage of people or doing wrong by people or changing deals on people, being the cause of major delays. That Remember that uh, people talk about this all the time, that sensation of, well, I got down to the closing table and, and it was nothing changed. we discussed. Yep. It was more expensive. The rate was higher. I mean, if those were the practices of our business, we couldn't come in here every Saturday for seven years and and be on the air. But I would suggest that probably more importantly than that is I wouldn't be able to to see friends at the grocery store and friends at farmer's market and friends at the little league games and all of those people that, because those are the people that we're doing business with. Um, those are, they're, they're listeners to the show. They're people from around the community. They're our neighbors. Um, their referral partners and stuff like that that do business with us. And um, I, do, I think that's a huge difference is that accountability of, um, you know, isn't that what you like out of a business? Sure. It no, definitely it, influences where I where I buy, where I consume my goods and services. And every day when I'm listening to the radio, I hear these cash call commercials that just... That's the one. That's the only other one that I really hear on KVC is cash call. And their their ads are so unbelievable. And there's no one around. They upped here. it this week, by the way. Oh, the rate finally. From 2.75 for the 15 year to the 2.875. And you know what? As long as we're on that topic, um, by the way, I do. We still get plenty of business from people that go to cash call and have a, a miserable experience and split in the middle of it. Um, but. I keep getting um, all these solicitations. I get them at my house, and a lot of our clients are getting them too, and I keep seeing it all over the place is the um, these offers to refinance. And the, big, the ones that are the most offensive ones to me are the FHA ones where they're posing an FHA streamlined refi, right? No appraisal needed. No income documentation needed. No um, assets needed. Your mortgage insurance is going to go down, right? From the factor you have that's like typically one and a quarter percent down to like 0.85. And by the way, for a $400,000 loan, this changes the mortgage insurance from about $400 a month to somewhere around about 280. Okay. But here's the thing that none of these guys, when they're marketing you and soliciting you for this super easy refinance, is they're not telling you that the mortgage insurance you have today stops. And if you redo it at the new FHA loan, you go for the streamline refi, that new mortgage insurance, by redoing your loan, you're agreeing to life of loan mortgage insurance. How could they not have to put that on the paperwork Put that in the mailer or tell you that when they call. I started thinking of all, you know, all the disclosures we have, Dan, about this and that and four different ways of telling somebody they have a right to receive a copy of their appraisal. How come the government hasn't stepped in and made that a requirement about your mortgage insurance? You know, there should be one form that so clearly tells you what your mortgage insurance is and how long it's going to last. Um, and... 
there should be some burden of proof on your lender to tell you if you're sabotaging yourself by tripping over the dollar to pick up the dime, right? Yeah, you want slightly lower mortgage insurance today, but that that slightly lower mortgage insurance is going to last for 30 years. Whereas the other, the mortgage insurance you have today, which is slightly more expensive, it's going to stop between five and 11 years, depending on the client and all that kind of thing. Um, so again, that sort of just, it, it reaffirms to me what um, we, in our office, we would never do a loan for somebody without explaining that to them. And you know what? Some people know that and they say that I'm okay with it. Well, I, yeah. And it, and there's, you have to do some math to figure out. I mean, that's what I would do. That's what I would want to do if I'm making that decision is figure out, okay, well, I understand that component of it, but still does, does the lower payment today benefit me in the next five years, in the next 10 years, over the entire 30-year life of loan, let's look at all those things, and, and then I can weigh out what's important to me. Yeah, what's my plan? What's my most likely, you know, am I... Because some people got a plan down the road that, you know what, I'm going to outgrow the fishbowl that is San Luis, right? If you're, I don't know, you're some kind of highfalutin technical something or other. I don't know what you are. A city slicker. Maybe you are. <laughs> or you're country folk and you got to get back to big sky Montana. There we I, go. There, there are people that can look down the road and say, yeah, you know, I'm here today. Like you got out of Cal Poly or so I'm here today, but I know I'm not going to, this is not home for me. I'm out of here. Um, or I'm trying to think of a business, uh, <laughs> There's got to be some business where eventually you just got to go uh, to the city or to some other uh, metropolitan area. But at any rate, point remains, you've got to couple your expectation of how long you just may be here um, and the financial ramifications of that. And I just – those ads and those companies, especially out-of-town companies, they don't have any of that accountability. Who are you going to – are you going to call back cash cow, cash call in five years and say, you screwed me. You didn't tell me when you did the deal you did for me then that you were – my mortgage insurance, yeah, it got 50 bucks cheaper, but now it's lasting for 30 years instead of the five I had left. Who's going to answer that call at cash call? <laughs> I'm So do you want a new loan? <laughs> you know, we don't – we don't do that kind of stuff in our company because they'll walk right in. And, you know, that's a that's a problem. You can't be making putting people into precarious financial positions and expect to have a business of any longevity in your own town. It, it, that behavior is sort of it, it happens at those big faceless companies. So anyway, that was the motivation behind the commercial. It's a good ad. <laughs> it's a good ad. I like it. I do like it. Um, so, uh, here's a, here's a couple of interesting things. I did want to talk a little bit about housing. Um, there was a great article this week that came out, um, for the, um, housing pulse tracking survey. This is interesting because in, you know, I wish that Wes was here today or one of the other real estate agents was here today to talk a little bit about this, but, um, listen to these stats. First-time homebuyer share of home purchases in, in April surged to its highest level in more than four years. I was thinking about that. What was four years ago? 
four years ago was right around like the tax credit stuff. Yeah. Probably the tail end of that. Mm -hmm. But um, there was incentives for people to buy homes, for first-time homebuyers to buy homes, I should say. Um, but then we also saw that first-time homebuyers as a share of the market were declining for several years. Uh, and we said at the time, it was for a variety of reasons, but some of which being um, cash investors coming with all cash were beating out uh, first-time homebuyers that usually lack down payment and were using a program like you know, USDA or FHA, one of those programs where they could have a minimal down payment. So this report that was published recently by the Mortgage Bankers Association said that first-time homebuyers accounted for 38% of the home purchases in April, which is up from 34% a year ago. Um, and looking that at those people, the 38% of people found um, that were first-time homebuyers, 42% of the first-time homebuyers um, used FHA loans to buy their homes. How many? 48%? 42% of the first-time home buyers, right? So that's a that's a pretty good chunk of people that utilize that FHA loan. That's They're, incredible. Coupling this with another article that I saw this last week um, was talking about the big banks and how we basically whether or not they steered people from one program to the next and this is particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. I know where you're going. Yeah, the the um, the banks were much more likely to put somebody into an FHA loan that could fit into a conventional loan. Why ever would they do that? Down because the, you can make like three times the profit on an FHA loan that you can a conventional loan. That's just the metric of it. It's amazing with FHA loans. It's it's so deceiving in a way because the interest rate on an FHA loan is lower significantly lower than a conventional loan we're talking about a half to three quarters of a point lower so you get offered a conventional loan at four percent or this fha loan at three and a quarter percent hands down i'm taking that fha loan and it only requires three and a half percent down payment how about life of loan mortgage it. insurance but the mortgage insurance component while it's gotten a lot better is still more expensive than a conventional loan i i will say that fha has gotten more affordable on that front but sure. there's still that really expensive upfront mortgage insurance well, fee and the monthly is still and well more and it expensive. gets financed so it, it but the life of loan component is what really tips the scales it's crazy um against an fha loan that makes it m more expensive yeah and you know um I don't ever want to make it sound like we're bashing FHA loans in our office because we do a lot of FHA loans, and I want to make that really clear. I, I And I love the FHA loan. It's a fantastic loan for people that have um, kind of no other lending choice. They've got bumps and bruises from credit, like a, they had a short sale or a foreclosure or something a few years ago. FHA, we, we can accommodate down to a 550 credit score on FHA. Yeah. So yeah, it can definitely handle With some credit challenges. With 3.5% down. Yeah, it can handle credit challenges, and that's for sure. And it has a very lenient, in fact, one of the most lenient um, debt-to-income ratio markers. So if somebody has a credit challenge and a high debt-to-income ratio, FHA will still take that person. Um, I, I'm just going to insert a little commentary here. That one doesn't seem to be as strong of a motivator because the increased mortgage insurance tends to 
take away some of that debt to income ratio opportunity you, when you're still looking at those low down payment purchase loans you're probably you used to be able to get away with 50% on a conventional loan now i think 45 is about the max so there is some opportunity to qualify for a little bit more well but here's on FHA. A, so here's another one i'll just volley at you yeah. when i started underwriting um, a dozen years ago the um, if you needed a Fannie Mae loan, like you could do that with at times 3% down, generally 5% down is the most common for the minimum down with Fannie, but that 5% had to be yours. You had to have that. On FHA, it can be a gift. It can come from your employer or any um, relative by law or blood. So there's another big one. Maybe you get out of college and you've got yourself a decent little job, but you've got some student loans, you've got a car payment, those, you know, that starting off thing when you're like 28 years old ish and it's time to buy a house you've been at the job for a couple years you haven't saved a big down payment and um, in fha somebody can believe in you and give you that minimal down three and a half percent down you know for a three hundred thousand dollar house we're talking 10 grand that's a pretty sweet little deal and you can get that gift from a relative fannie mae has recently allowed that five percent money to be gift funds so that's one more place that Fannie Mae has kind of stepped forward to be more competitive in that low down payment market. But so check this out, Dan. For people with down payments between six and nine percent, mm -hmm. at the big banks, you are more likely to get an FHA loan than you are a conventional loan. That's a trip. It is. We have, uh, I always, I do this with my clients too, but do, did you guys watch Prices Right? Jim, did you ever watch Prices Right? Yeah. It's still on, I love right? the Prices Right. There's a game in there called Plinko. Oh, yeah. Sure, Plinko. I got yeah. to see Plinko when I went to a live taping. So you do something else and you get yeah. yourself a few tokens, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it, the yeah. more tokens, the better, because you're going to get the sum exactly. of what the Plinko things that mm -hmm. fall, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But it's a pegboard, right? Mm -hmm. And you go yeah. up on the three little steps up there. Yeah. Bob Eubanks has got the weird skinny microphone with a little ball on the top Drew of Curry. it. That's how I remember it. And they put the <laughs> Plinko chip up, and you know, you're looking down there, and you do your best to line it up. But, oh man, I really want the the yeah. big prize, the car, or whatever one, the most significant one. And by the way, out of the 50 places that this thing's gonna fall, yeah. it's gonna start bouncing randomly. You're really not gonna be able to influence, but where it falls, you really want it by luck to hit mm -hmm. the high. Dollar one. But yeah. what happens? 85, 95% of the time. Mm. You get it the does, junk it prize. It those zeros that are right next to the $50,000. Right there, aren't they? They're on both sides <laughs> of it. That's yeah. kind of how FHA is. Uh, you, you get to the top of the Plinko board for lending, and you're like, okay, check it out. We, got, we have some VA loans, and we have some USDA loans. We have conventional loans. Um, we've got down payment assistance loans. We've got all these different loans, uh, including FHA. Um, and FHA is the zero prize. <laughs> it's like the the free shoes that are um, uh, flanking the free car. Um, there's 50 pairs of free shoes and one free car. So that's kind of like FHA. Al almost everybody qualifies for an FHA loan. So you just go ahead and throw your token down there. If it's credit that rules you out, then you're going to get an FHA loan. If it's debt-to-income ratio that rules you out, you're going to get an FHA, FHA loan. If it's a 
if you're trying to do USDA and you make too much money, you usually end up in an FHA loan. Um, if you find a house, but the house is not USDA eligible and you really still don't have a down payment, you're usually going to get an FHA loan. Here's but another one. All the while, we're constantly, if you can get a conventional loan, we want you to have that first. And the biggest reason why, yes, the interest rate's higher for sure. But the reason is the mortgage insurance stops, always stops, actually. 100% of the time it stops. And it stops automatically by law when you hit 78% of your... Stops before the end of your loan. Yeah. But when you hit 78% of your original purchase price in terms of what you've borrowed, the federal laws require that it stops. When it's at 80, you can actually challenge the mortgage insurance to make it stop. And then here's the full-blown icing on the cake. This is the sweetest part of the whole deal. It's not just what you pay. They take into consideration if your housing market is appreciating and your house is just simply worth more because you are there. So... Let's go forward down the road two years. You get a conventional loan with mortgage insurance, and two years later, houses have all appreciated 10%, and you made a 5% down payment, and over the course of paying for a couple years, you paid your loan down a little bit. You might be at that magic 20% equity number where you can call and challenge your mortgage insurance and make it end. So, uh, And that guy on FHA um, can't. His mortgage insurance is going to last for the entire life of the loan. And, you know, I understand that for some people that that's not an upsetting thing or something, but go ahead and do math on what 300 bucks is times 360 months or 300 months or whatever it is when it might potentially stop. That is a ton of money. And people just say, well, I'll refi. Will you though? Because what if it's like today where you have a three and a quarter FHA loan and Four or five years down the road, you come on in and you're like, I need a new loan because I have an FHA loan. My mortgage insurance is never going to stop. And we go, okay, 30-year fix today is 5%. Guess what? Try 6 or 7%. Don't don't make my point extreme. <laughs> the, the amount that you would pay in additional interest for having the um, – the higher interest rate then is going to trump that part that you're just throwing down the drain for FHA. Mm -hmm. And all you'll be thinking that day is, well, that sucks. But had you known that then, you might have stretched and done a conventional loan then. Um, so for me and my company, we're focused on making sure that people get FHA because they can get nothing else. That's the person we give an FHA loan to. We're not driving people into FHA to make double profit. And it was really phenomenal to me to see that the big banks were, you were with a 6% down payment, were more likely to get an FHA loan. And they went so far as to say with a broker, you were more likely to get a conventional loan with 6% down. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, um, and, and, but I think it, that's the thing though, is like if somebody's out shopping and I know I'm competing against in your mind, you're comparing me to Wells Fargo. I don't know how savvy you are about the lending world, but you got to be looking at me going, are you as good as Wells Fargo, dude? I mean, you're. I, I've never seen your ad during the Super Bowl. So that's what I'm up against. If they come out and say, yeah, well, Wells Fargo is giving me an FHA loan and I can get them a conventional loan, 
I have so badly beaten Wells Fargo and won a client for life by showing them the way that Wells Fargo just tried to ensnare them into such a crap loan. Um, that that's a, that's an awesome deal. So right out of the gate, we're motivated to to reveal not only a better product, but to fully explain why it is that what they were being sold by the bigger institution was not was not the right one. Agreed. Yeah. There you go. Off the soapbox. There is one more potential reason why you might consider an FHA loan. Hmm. I know we we're just talking about how how. They're not necessarily the first option, but in San Luis Obispo County, FHA will lend to a higher loan amount than a conventional loan. They'll go up to 625000 Conventional will only go up to 561000 So that may be why. Well, Actually working with a client right now is in that, they're in that sweet spot where really only FHA will work. And this, of course, assumes that you're kind of constrained by what you can put down. You're right about that. And the other thing too, uh, here's another great thing about FHA. There's a house right near me that's a, a three unit house, okay? It's a really nice house with a duplex, three units, and this thing's 900 grand. You can, did you know you can buy that house with an FHA loan with three and a half percent down? I if you can live in it, mm -hmm. right? You do need to be able to live in it for at least a year yourself, but if you buy that loan, if you buy that with a conventional loan, like you said, 5612 is the max loan amount, that guy suddenly needs $400,000 down. Who has that? And if you have 400 grand down, are you really going to live in one of your one of your three triplex units? Probably not. But so point being, FHA, not only can the loan amounts go that high because it's units, but also the down payment on Fannie Mae is is on units like that are required a minimum of 15%, whereas FHA is still just three and a half. So I can show you guys some awesome stories about people that bought duplexes, um, young, young people that bought a duplex, lived in one of them for a year, um, and then we're able to leave and rent that other one out to the part where the the tenants are covering the mortgage in full now, uh, made possible by way of FHA. So like I said at the beginning of my little rant here, I don't want to make it sound like FHA is just a crap loan and nobody should ever do one. There's a lot of great reasons to get an FHA loan. My bigger point is you just need to know if there are any other options and it, you know, and and take real care in making the decision of the kind of loan you're getting, and and by and large, not letting a loan officer just tell you, hey, this is what you're getting. Um, I would really want to know why and what other options um, I was passed over for, right? I mean, I I do that with all of my clients when they sit down. Here's all of your options. This is why you cannot do this one. This is why you cannot do this one. If you could do this, this one would work for you. Here's your most likely path to success, and it's this loan, and and why. That way, you have the buy-in. You know, the client fully understands what's going on, can participate in that. And but sometimes they can make you aware of a detail that um, you don't know. Well, hey, actually, I I probably could do that program because what you don't know is that I have a rich uncle that did say he would give me thirty grand. It was just my choice to try to do it on my own. Oh, well, perfect. You know, that, that now let's go back and revisit this other thing. So being thorough through the programs um, oftentimes will result in a, just a better transaction than just 
taking the the FHA loan because it's most profitable to the loan officer. It's an interesting takeaway from that story. Um, we have a caller waiting patiently on the line. We've got Jeff calling in from Los Osos, Valley of the Bears. Welcome to the show. Yes, Jason, that sounds very Charles Dickens. <laughs> How so? Oh, uh, you know. <laughs> What's your question, Jeff? Um, it just does. It seems like it does to me. All right. You know, the... the uh, well, don't anyway. Um, I don't want to be thrown off. Uh, <laughs> all I want to say is that um, I got a call from my realtor in uh, Beverly Hills, uh, Homeby Hills, Bel Air. He's been working there for about thirty years. And um, I'm from that area, and I'm also from Malibu, okay. Colony. I'm also from Montecito, and he called me and asked me. Uh, oh, and by the way, I, I'm now here in Los Osos and Cabrillo Estates. Cool. And he called me and asked me, and he said, Jeff, property is doubling down here. Has it gone up over there? And you said, heck yes, it has. <laughs> well, Jason, you said that you thought property is going to double. I do. And my realtor is asking me if it already has. I'll take my answer over the air. All right. Okay. Thanks for the question. I mean, obviously, it's doubled from some point. If you just like, yeah. But I, I'm. <laughs> I think we're talking about the the very recent past. Yeah. No, too. I'm talking about really from like this point forward. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, but what his question is is has it already? And I'm I'm gonna say as far back as 2008. Okay. Has housing doubled since 2008? Uh, are you pretty darn close in a lot of areas? I don't know if it truly has or not. Yeah, look, let me tell you about some examples that I know about that I can think of right front of mind, okay? I did a transaction in Los Osos back in 2008 for some people that bought um, on Lilac. They bought a house out there for $290,000, okay? And by the way, it's a nice little house. It's got a view of the rock, great view of Los Osos, great little house. Um, you know, and this is a 1,700 square foot, three bed, two bath with, a, with an attached two car garage. It's landscaped. Not like one of the, you know, you know, I'm only saying that because some of the houses in Los Osos are like the ugly duckling where you could get a smoking deal on it. This was a very nice house for 290 grand. Wow. Wow. And um, the appraisal came in 10 grand short because the other homes in the area were all selling for about 280 that were similar. Um, those guys, we actually just talked again a week ago, and that house there now is worth about five ten. So, so not quite doubled. Not quite doubled. Uh, but I want to say, in two thousand six, though, that house sold for four hundred eighty grand. So, 
it's a it's a thing of um, did it double well? Do you want to start counting this from that trough where things were clearly undervalued? And you can't you can't even argue that they were undervalued. They were so they were. undervalued. It's and not I, even funny. that's got to be that that's the context of the conversation. Sure. From the peak low has has real estate doubled. And in same value. thing. I mean, bumping around the county, I can point out several of those, and I'll tell you there. I I've not seen yet one that's truly doubled. Um, there was so many houses over here off of Ocean Air sold for right around $300,000. Those, And, you know, those are like the three-bedroom, one-bath, like 1,200-square-foot, that smaller little Ocean Air house that exists over there quite a bit, other than the ones that line the lake. That's kind of the common footprint in there. Those ones sold for right around three hundred grand. Today, you're going to pay five forty, five sixty yeah, like for five, those. Low to mid-fives. Yeah, depending on its condition and lot size and stuff, it could be as high as 580. But the my point is that's not quite doubled, but I, I you kind of get caught in a mess of where if we're trying to prove a point, are we we're looking for the perfect low and then kind of an extreme high. Um, the context of my point that I think real estate is gonna double over the next 10 year period here, I'm talking about now going forward. Um, if you want to give you want to give me the liberty of comparing 2009 to 2018, absolutely, it's doubling. There's no doubt. It's probably even going to be sooner than that. But I'm talking about from here forward. I think it's likely to double. And I need to go back and make a um, a, a sort of a clarification to that comment too, because people haven't forgot about that. I guess I stirred the pot up when I make my um, argument there, uh, but. What I really want to say is I'm I'm really talking about like entry level housing. I'm, I'm not the million dollar houses are not going to become two million dollar houses. I don't think. I mean, maybe maybe not. Is a two million dollar house going to become a four million dollar house? Uh, that maybe it is, but that's not. I'm not even paying attention to that because they make up such a small percentage of the overall sales anyway, and have like next to no impact on our business at all. That I it those those houses to me are kind of I don't care. Uh, what I'm talking about is the um, the average single family house in a city in San Luis Obispo um, County. So like today that average family is buying in a Tascadero. The average one right now seems that it's probably 375 grand. And I do fully expect in 10 years time that those average houses like that are going to be over 700 grand. I just do. Uh, and I won't go back through all the rationale. It's good. The logic is good. And I could be wrong, but if I am, I've, I've cost you nothing. If I'm right, uh, and encouraging you to get out and participate in this market, um, then, you know, you can buy me a coffee 10 years down the road when you're like, hey, man, thanks. You changed my whole life. <laughs> Don't you think? Sure. I'll buy you a coffee if you change my life. What's your mortgage payment? Me? Yeah. Um, including taxes and interest, about 2200 Yeah. Um. Or I'm sorry, taxes and insurance. Yeah, yeah. The P I T I. Yeah, mine's like, mine's like twenty five hundred. Um, but I'm uh, twenty years from now, I'll tell you what mine's gonna be. About twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah. 
Um, Maybe up a little because of those taxes. Yeah, taxes can go up, right? 1% a year or whatever it is. Is it one or two? Two. Two. So it's going to go up a little bit. Maybe I'll be paying 26 or 2700 How about rent? It's probably going to be going. If you want to rent a house in my neighborhood today, you got to pay about twenty three hundred bucks a month for a house like mine. But twenty years down the road, what do you think that rent's going to be? Five grand? Maybe. No, maybe not. I don't know. Ninety eight. I rented a really killer house in Los Osos that um, on Lilac. In fact, a three bedroom, two bath. That kind of same house I'm describing. Eleven hundred bucks a month. I don't I mean when you look at real estate values they tend to jump up in these short like over maybe 10 year periods and then they plateau for a while and then they jump up again and then plateau. Yeah. So are we going through a It's kind of weird because we jumped up and then we fell down and now we jumped back up. And so are I, we I'll concede that I'm an argumentative guy. I really am. I love to argue. Sometimes I take the losing side of the argument just to see if I can win with it. Um, I do. I, re, I maybe I'm just confrontational or adversarial. Um, I, I really do. I loved arguing those points. So, you know what I would say to that argument, Dan? Hmm. We're seeing a market we've never seen before. That's very These true. factors have never been in play. Which factors, you ask? Great question. <laughs> um, how about a run of four years with z- like 0% Fed overnight rate, which led to 3% 30-year fix? What's that going to do? I'll tell you what I think it's going to do. Coupled with Prop 13, it's going to mean that people are going to stay with those loans in those houses Forever. Till it's paid off. Why would you go? Why would you move? Go sign up for the higher tax rate and get a low, a, a much higher interest rate? No. You're going to stay put. You're going to remodel. You're going to add on. You're going to make it work. Or it's going to turn people who never thought they would ever be a landlord into landlords. Because why would I want to give up that home with that loan that I can have someone else pay for for me for the next you know, 25 years it's remaining on it? From 1980 until... Today, interest rates have been dropping. Um, from today going forward, they're either going to stay the same or they're going to increase over time. And so we're going to see a shift in the pattern of how many people stay than ever before. And in doing so, that's going to exacerbate the shortages that we already have. And you couple that with some Prop 13 and a lack of building and some drought issues, and we're going to have a better housing crisis in five years than we even have today. That's a, uh, that is just science. Don't you think? I do. Hey, guys, we got another hour of Mortgage Matters coming. Um, we got the top of the hour break, so we're going to take some time out here. Go get some coffee, whatever you got to do. We'll be back in a few minutes with more Mortgage Matters. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, guys, welcome back. 
Thanks much for joining us. Those that stuck around, thank you. Let's see here. In case you missed any part of the first hour, we established that we had negative growth in our economy in the first quarter. Boo. Where's the boo button? And we established that uh, banks steer borrowers into (laughs) much more profitable FHA loans when there's possibly a better option. Yep. Um, First-time homebuyers are... um, back in the market which is a good first time homebuyers are back we were freaked out about them for a minute are these millennial first time homebuyers or of the <laughs> older vintage millennial are you tired of reading about millennials yet yeah they're in every news story now and now i'm seeing that millennials are tired of living in their parents basement and they're ready <laughs> to move out imagine that yeah and um they've actually have saved down payments and then the other thing we're learning about millennials is that their parents are now more willing than ever to gift them money to get them the hell out of their basement. Here's a down payment, son. It's time for you to go. So the uh, well, parents finally did the math and said, "Man, if I give you fifty grand to go away, I can save a thousand dollars a month on food and extra utilities and doing your laundry." Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> It actually pays itself, you know, it pays itself off in, in less than five years. This is great. Get out. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we we found out recently here is that on a nationwide basis, housing is more firm than it was a year ago. Um, a lot of the sales numbers that have come out recently have been very positive. With yeah. Yeah. I know I did share this on the on the show last week, but I just want to reiterate it because it was such an awesome number. It's worth talking about. Housing starts and permits grew. Uh, housing starts more than 20% growth over the previous period. And then permits being issued um, 10% over its norm there. Uh, so that those are just great numbers showing that um, for the month of April – we run out the pace of uh, what to expect between what's being built and what permits are being issued for buildings to be built. And we're looking at a housing pace of 1.14 million units for the year. Um, that's a rate not seen since 2007. Uh, that's really a great number. And without going all the way back through it, there was a couple soft spots in it um, in months prior. February and March were not great. So seeing April with a good firm number there is really nice, um, which leads itself nicely into talking about new home sales. Um, new home sales, I'll remind you guys, are homes that have never before been lived in. They are finaled for the first time and accepting their first occupants. Um, 6.8% jump in April, uh, which is up 26.1% from April of 2014. That's really a great number. Uh, it's great to see that those that they're, those homes are not only being built, but they're being sold. Uh, the median sales price of new homes sold in April of this year was just a tad under $300,000, Um The uh, average sales price um, was $341,500. Seasonally adjusted, the estimate of new houses for sale at the end of the year was 205000 which represents a, a supply of 4.8 months of inventory. So that's really good news. 
Um, great to see those numbers picking up as well as, uh, and also I think as a byproduct of it, um, seeing the value of those homes and the sales prices rising on those homes too. Um, additionally, uh, to kind of back those numbers up this week, we got a, um, case and Schiller, the S and P case Schiller home price index, uh, which again, we always remind everybody, this has a two month lag. So it's one of these things where, um, here we what we found is now the data for the month of March saying that home prices rose 4.1% in the year that ended in March. Um, so that basically just shows that um, the current pace of 4% home appreciation year over year is um, still pretty good. Uh, and, and for anybody that's worried about, I mean, we've, we always say three to 5%, um, annual home appreciation is probably like a, a reasonable pace. You don't really want to see it outside of that. Um, too low would suggest that the market doesn't have enough demand and too high would suggest that it's overheated. Um, so seeing in right in the face of all these super low interest rates, still seeing a, an appreciation rate of 4% is good. Um, and for those that are worried that it's a bubble, um, it's not a bubble. If anything, it's still a rebound at a modest pace. So that's, that's pretty good. Additionally, this last week we got an index for FHFA. Um, FHFA is the one that takes into consideration, um, refinances and any appraisals that are done for mortgage transactions, um, they also produce just the purchase only index, which shows that um, house prices rose 1.3% for the 15th consecutive quarterly price increase um, was up 0.3% from the month prior. So again, kind of pointing to a 4% annualized rate of appreciation for homes. Um, and do that math, by the way. We all understand compound interest, right? If you had $100,000 in the bank and you're making 4% on it, you're making 4% in the bank? Not not today, <clears throat> but just to illustrate if. compound interest. Yeah, just the if. So at the end of the year, then, uh, one might have how much money, Dan? Sorry. Tell me. I don't, I'm, I'm <laughs> asking you to participate. If you made 4% return on 100 grand, You're going to have an extra $4,000. 104 total. Yeah. So then that next year now you're having to be paid four percent interest on a hundred and four thousand dollars. So yeah, like a little bit more than four grand. Forty one sixty, something like Point that. Point being you're you're growing because it's compounding. Same kind of thing happens with home values, right? Mm -hmm. If it's going up four percent year over year, then next year it's gonna be four percent more than what it was at the end of that year, right? So um, you can do this math, same kind of thing for homes. This is I'm just helping you understand the logic of how this thing is going to hit double in 10 years. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and then, of course, at the tail end of the week this week, we got a read on pending home sales. Those were good. Pending home sales was very good. Highest level in nine years. Um, that's, that is really good news. Um, nine years. That was like. That was 2006. Right. That was booming in 2006. And remember, pending home sales are homes that are in contract but not yet sold. So these are they're going to turn into a metric, right, of a new home sale or an existing home sale. So homes um, are going into contract at a pace 
that's equal to or around the same levels as when things were going crazy with crazy loan programs. Everyone was an investor. Everyone was owning real estate. That's wild. That's a competitive market we're in right now. You know that guy, Lawrence Yun? Yeah, he's the chief economist for, is it NAR? Yeah, National Association of Realtors. He said, and then the quote that they yanked out of his um, little statement this week after pending home sales is that inventory shortages in many areas, um, as a result, home prices are up and accelerating in many markets. That's not exactly a news flash, is it? No. I just want to draw attention back to the fact that he's saying that there are inventory shortages. This is going to be part of the DNA of the housing market for years to come, inventory shortages. That's the that's one of the biggest drivers of why real estate's going to go nuts in the next 10 years. Um, so there you go. That's all the housing numbers. I started my segment by saying that um, the housing market was firmer than it was a year ago. Didn't we prove it? I think so. I yeah. think we proved it. Housing's a good bet right now. It is. Um, and it's a competitive thing to get in on right now with such little supply, a lot of people wanting to get in. Are we starting? You you attend realtor meetings a little more often than I do. Are you um, are you hearing that, that we're back into the multiple offer overbidding kind of environment? Is that is that back here in Slow County? You know, as always, it depends on the price range. Right. If you're trying to buy a, a million plus house, there you have a little more time to to think about it, sleep on it, maybe make an offer. If you're talking about some entry level housing, um, man, it doesn't matter if it's on a road that's got double yellows out front. People are lining up to pay uh, a pretty good penny to get it, and yeah, they're competing. So it's one of these things where it depends what segment of the market that you're buying in, um, and you know, of course, it, it makes it a, a a great time to sell if you've got uh, one of those homes. Like you're going to sell it super fast. I say a great time to sell. Uh, I obviously it's a great time to hold on account of the values are going up because of the shortages. But if you need to sell, it's a great time to sell. Um, and 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 even a lot of the people that we're seeing lately too. I, I got. Um, probably about a half a dozen new purchases in the works right now um, that are all move-up buyers selling a house in the $400,000 range and buying a house somewhere in the $500,000 range. Um, So that I think is interesting. We're seeing some of those people uh, have some confidence to come forward. Um, I have a loan working right now uh, where we're utilizing a bridge loan. Hmm. Huh? I mean, I'm not doing the bridge loan, obviously, but working with a local bank to loan these guys a down payment to buy a house um, before they sell their other house. So that's kind of cool. Um, that's kind of a, a new thing in the market. And you know what? I'm not actually even afraid to say that it, it's by way of Founders Bank. If that, I don't know if that even surprises you. I thought it was pretty cool. And I've been working directly with the loan officer at Founders Bank. And um, he he's perfectly excited to be able to help and, and reminded me that they do no mortgages at all. Like they, Right. They're the, a commercial lender. Only. Yeah. And the bridge loan that they issue, while it is a residential loan, it's a short-term loan. It's a 12-month loan. 
So you got to really get in and get out. Um, but point being is that there, we're even seeing bank products now that are facilitating people figure out how to be a move up buyer. So maybe that's the next wave of this is seeing more of those people start to have confidence enough to sell uh, their entry level home and get into a, a move up home. We've got a caller from Morro Bay. We've got Scott on the line. Entry level home and yeah. Oh, sorry. Scott, yeah. turn down your radio, please. Yeah. Turn down I, your radio. Uh, entry level homes. Now, isn't this a uh, Jason? Isn't this a domino theory? Because if they can't sell the entry level homes. The middle class seller can't buy the upper class home. Yeah, oh, it is. They're they're absolutely interrelated. I mean, it's got to be a, a function of having that ability in the market to sell um, their entry level to buy their move up. It's pretty rare that somebody just steps right in and buys the the higher priced home. Um, I do see it though, and I'll tell you what. There's kind of a witching ground. <laughs> there's kind of a witching ground of um, of loan amount where the trouble happens. If you're if you're doing a conventional loan in San Luis County, you're at five sixty one two is really your max loan amount. A loan amount of five sixty one two requires a ten percent down payment. So if you're going to put ten percent down. Um, 561 plus that 10% of 56,000, you're right over, you know, 600,000. That's not kind of enough in a lot of places to get up into that next house. Like in San Luis, the move up houses are 740, 750, 800,000 ish. So you kind of need to be packing a pretty good down payment to get into that piece of the market. Um, and, and consequently that usually means you need to sell what you have to get your money out of it, to be able to put it down into the next house. You don't really have that luxury of making your, your current, your starter home and slow a rental, you know, you got to get your money out of it so that you can put it down into the next one. <laughs> I'm having trouble getting over how similar Scott sounds to Jeff. <laughs> Yeah. It's really <laughs> pretty much, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, weird. I, I kind of caught that too after we got him on the air there. Yeah, man. Well, it probably wouldn't happen if you weren't <laughs> such a tough call screener, Jim. Yeah, I'm so terrible at it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. I think we need to take a break, regroup, and we'll uh, we'll come back better than ever. How, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> I like the plan. All right, it's ten twenty. We're gonna step aside very quickly for some commercials, and uh, we'll be right back with more mortgage matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328 what a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Yeah, all right, everybody. Welcome back. I wanted to, um, Dan, I wanted to, to revisit what we were talking about a minute ago. With the sales, home sales. Yeah, well, in the, the competitive housing. market. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a good. Um, so I wanted to take this opportunity to kind of talk to people because we're loan guys, right? So there's not a lot of help I'm going to be able to give somebody that's an all-cash buyer. Um, not even particularly interested in dealing with that guy. I'm looking I mean, for the person can't... that needs some financing help. And um, so one of the things that, that this kind of conversation always ends up at is, well, if you're involved in a situation where there's a home for sale and there's multiple people wanting to buy it, um, some of which might even have cash. <laughs> Chances are one out of three of them does have cash. Yeah. that's Those are the numbers. Right now, homes being sold, a third of them are being bought with cash. So what do you do? How do you how do you compete with? Let's just say I'm an FHA buyer. I I don't have a big down payment. I've got a small down payment, and given the loan amounts of the area, I'm going to be using an FHA loan, um, and I'm going to go I'm going to go up against you. You're you've got a a duffel bag full of hundred dollar bills, and it's me and you um, to go slug it out. Well, the way it works is your listing agent receives, when you're a home seller, your listing agent receives these offers and they, they lay them out in front of oh, you so and me... weigh out pros and cons. They say this, you know, these are the different prices and these are the different financing So options. let's do a role play. Do you like role playing? Sure. Let's do a role play. <laughs> I'm a seller. Okay. 
and I've been given a stack of offers from my realtor, and I just want you to. Um, Who do I get to be? You, you're going to be the listing agent. You're going to. I'm going okay, to read seller. a couple terms, and then you're going to give me a little direction. Okay. So I'm selling my house for. It's listed for four hundred thousand. Okay. And my first offer is. Wait, I'm the listing agent. Shouldn't I be telling you what the stuff is? Well, I'm I, I'm reading them. Usually, they forward them to you and oh, okay. let you look them over, and then you have a phone call where you kind of catch up on the details. Okay, right. So I'm looking at them now. I've got three offers. One of them is all cash. Here's a guy. Bingo. He's done. He's he's requesting a 30 day escrow. Um, all cash, 30 days. Yeah, needs some time. Whatever. Just want to do his due diligence. Normal deal. Yeah, and and that's still. He still wants to get an appraisal. He wants to do a home inspection. Has some moving he needs to get in order, that kind of thing. Three hundred eighty grand. Okay. I mean, he's looking for. I clearly he's looking a little, for a five percent discount off the. List I price. thought I was going to sell my house like four hundred grand because at that's, list. Yeah, I you mean, most people it. are, and we did a lot of work together. I thought, I thought, you know, we had a good idea of what it was worth. But this is a sure thing. There's no financing hiccup. Got it. We don't have to worry about an appraisal. If he loses his job or something weird happens, this is like this is truly like the old bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? So there's a deal, three eighty. That's a pretty good deal. Um, the next offer that we come across is a USDA loan for um, I could only presume a, a young family that doesn't really have anything. I see here that they're they're offering. Um, Three ninety five for my house, and in the down payment column, they've left that blank. The loan amount is three ninety five. So I'm, as a seller, I'm a little bit kind of weirded out by that guy. Uh, what can you even do that? Even? Yeah, USDA. USDA is a great loan program for first time home buyers. It's um, there's nothing odd about the program other than it, it accommodates people but who have no down payment but surely this person with no down payment kind of sucks <laughs> they didn't save anything they've got no what, what are they why would they even have any merit to buy my house it's actually more restrictive on the debt to income ratio requirements so these people have to demonstrate a, a stronger cash flow than someone who's maybe qualifying for a conventional loan or an FHA loan. They have to they have to demonstrate not necessarily a stronger cash flow, but a stronger residual income than folks qualifying for that's other a, loan programs. That's a lot of fancy talk right now. I mean, I I, I hear what you're saying, but listen, basically, I got I got to move. Is, Look, dude, I got to move. I'm taking my family out of the area, and I've got this house that I'm gonna buy. And I got to be in contract on it, and I've got a I've got a deposit on it already, and it's a sixty day escrow. So I I got to sell this thing in thirty days. These guys are both offering thirty days, but the dude with no down payment, all that that's that's a little bit much for me. I'm a little bit freaked out by this dude. He's just got no money. I it sounds like a great program. It really does. But I'm gonna okay. let's look at the third one. Okay, the third one now is this offer to close in. <laughs> 21 days with a conventional loan with 10% down and it's a it's a $390,000 deal. <laughs> um can I mean how how on earth what's the deal? 21 days, I mean, 
It's better than the cash guy. He actually has a down payment. So I like him a little more than this other guy. I feel like I could be more confident in it. How realistic is it that these people can close in 21 days? Well, I'm role playing here. Yeah. What's nice about this conventional offer is that these folks have a full underwriting approval. Already. They're not just, it's not just the boilerplate letter from the lender saying, I've seen their credit and their credit's good. This is the full underwriting approval. In fact, they've even attached a copy of the underwriting approval for us to see how approved they really are. I see it here. They need only an appraisal and a title report. I mean, so, and it's a faster close, which accommodates your timeline a little better. It actually gives you an extra week, week and a half to get your act. I kind of like that because I'm a little bit freaked out about the deposit that I have on this other house and worried that somehow the loan might not come together. I mean, after all, this is why I'm leaning towards kind of, you know, giving up at least 10, if not 20,000 bucks just to take the sure thing. But now this new offer that seems to be underwriting approved and looking only for an appraisal for 390. I mean, we did a lot of homework and we were pretty sure the house would be fine at 400. So I don't have to worry about the appraisal. I know what kind of condition and it's my house. So I like that idea. So maybe we should um, sell it to that party. And in that, I mean, that's fun, like awkward role playing like this, but uh, I really do think that that's a pretty that's a pretty reasonable conversation that's had in terms of evaluating these different offers. And of course, I bring it up with full purpose that we do that pre-approval for our buyers um, because we know that you're going to go into a competitive market. You're going to be up against people that have all cash. Um, yeah, and you know what? I picked on the USDA guy a little bit. I think that's it's valid. You made good points. It's a great program. We do a lot of them. And I would like to think that as a listing agent, you would say, yeah, well, you know what? Um, that loan officer and that company, I have experience with them locally. They're a local company with a local loan officer, and they're doing a the USDA loan, which they, they are good at it. And, and you know what? I was skeptical the first few of them we did too, but those always get done. You can trust Central Coast Lending to do a USDA loan. Um, when I have clients that are utilizing USDA loans, we'll call a spade a spade. You know, when the, when the agent calls me up to say, Hey, and I get calls from listing agents all the time. Can you tell me a little bit about these people? And most of the time it's like, Oh, Hey Jim. Hey Jason, how's it going? Good. I've got an offer here from the Smiths and I, they're doing USDA. Uh, you know, are they broke? Is this going to be a problem? And it's like, no, they actually, when they came into my office, most of the time they had enough to do an FHA loan. They, In fact, they had 5% down to do a conventional loan, but their income was under the limit and that house was eligible and the mortgage insurance is so much lower on FHA or on USDA that we actually, we're doing that because it's actually in their best interest, not because they're weak. And then that conversation, I might be able to clear the air and get them to, to warm up to my USDA client by being helpful like that. And believe me, those realtors, because I'm local and because they know me and my company, are I'm, we're way better off than somebody that's like, yep, my client's working with cash call. <laughs> my, my client got pre-approved with Quicken. Those kind of things. I mean, you're you're not in the same competitive environment when those when that's the route you chose. 
Um, but but point being is, you know, you've got to do something to make yourself a little bit more competitive. You've got to do something to make yourself stand out, right? It's kind of like applying for a job. You're going to put together a thoughtful letter, put your best foot forward, you know, get up and try to your best to knock your calic down kind of thing. That's what we're doing when we're helping those people. Um, there's other things that I really like about the pre-approval process too. Um, when somebody comes in to get pre-approved, Dan, you and I talked just yesterday about a client that's a perfect candidate for this. Been doing some self-employment couple of the self-employed people um, decided to take this employee on. So now they're paying by a W-2. So we kind of got a mix of 1099 and W-2 pay. Yeah, it's all under bookkeeping and accounting, but it's not totally slam dunk in nature. Um, this person wants to buy a house and we're like, yeah, if you calculate the income this way, it works quite well. If you calculate it that way, that's pretty tight. And rather than gamble and say, you know what, you go ahead, you're pre, you know, you're pre-qualified, go ahead and go find a house. We can say, first of all, thanks for coming in first before you're in escrow. You know, now we have a little bit of time to make sure that we do a good job. Um, we get you, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to build you a whole package and we're going to get it underwriting approved. We're going to have that underwriter weigh in on your employment history and your income and make a determination as to whether or not um, it can be calculated the way we want it calculated. And when they do, they're going to, they're going to tell us how they're going to calculate it. And now when, when we get that info, now I can tell you, go find a house. And here's the icing on the cake is that we don't have to revisit that. When you pick your house, it's going to be the same underwriter. We've already put to bed those things that, you know, and sometimes as a loan officer, I worry about your, you switch jobs and you know, the limo driver is not quite the same as the bus driver. Yeah, you're driving things, but it's different. Um, I need an underwriter to tell me, yes, that's okay. But more importantly, not just any underwriter, I need your underwriter. This is your person now that's going to be accountable now to the fact that we worked up front to put resolution to these issues. So now when we're doing that deal, nobody has to be stressed out about it. I'm not stressed out as a loan officer. You're not stressed out as the buyer. We're now approved by underwriting for your credit, income, assets, employment history, um, all of those things. And what's pending now is the property. Find a house. When you find your house, we're gonna do an appraisal. We're gonna do a title report. Um, those are the things that you only need to ask for a, a contingency on. That being said, now that offer is very strong. Um, when I bought my house, I actually beat out a cash offer. Um, the and it was a good cash offer. They picked me doing a loan um, for an extra five thousand bucks to their pocket, and at least in part was because I said, "Hey, I own a mortgage company." Don't be freaked out by the fact that I'm going to get a loan. Yeah, the cash thing, I mean, that might seem stronger. That person also still has the ability to bail out. They still get a period of time. And I'm I'm serious. And if anybody can get a loan, believe me, I can get myself one. So bear with me. And over just five grand, I mean, $5,000 is a lot of money, right? Yeah. I think it is. 
So as a seller, I I would I don't want to just give a cash discount. I mean, I'm real happy that you got cash. I, I'm thrilled that you have cash and you're willing to pay that. It's awesome. But if I can get five thousand dollars more um, without really risking anything, I'd rather have five thousand dollars more. And and when I say without really risking anything, how can you assure me? I mean the appraisal, the credit, the job history, the, all these things. And what we can say is, hey, Mr. Seller, you don't need to worry right now about the job, the credit, the assets, the um, any of those things about my buyer. Those issues have been fully vetted. Um, yes, we need to do an appraisal. However, most people believe in the value of their home, right? <laughs> even, if they, even if they're not on firm ground, they feel pretty good about their house being worth what they think it is. So... That's what the new commercial we're running about the 21-day closes. That's the only way. I, I won't say the only way. That's the way it's most likely possible is if you come in and get fully pre-approved, underwriting pre-approved, where we fully vetted those issues and have that all handled, um, now you can be in a position where you can write a shorter offer with less contingencies so it's just more simple and be competing with the people that are swinging cash or big down payments. Sometimes it's not even cash, but you know, like my parents recently sold their house and I helped them. And we were having these conversations about, hey, well, here's a guy with 50% down. He's less less risk than a loan guy. <laughs> the other thing that I was going to say about this, you may not necessarily and this is to both realtors who might be listening out there as well as home buyers maybe writing a short offer isn't your goal the other nice thing about processing a loan in 21 days is that it just takes the pressure off so many lenders i think the norm in the industry is to um is to have a a funding goal based on the close of escrow date right and by by shortening the processing time from what's typically 30 days to you know, sometimes 45 days with some companies to shortening it to 21 days just means that we're in a position to close a loan sooner. We've overcome all the potential issues with the borrower, with the property, with the loan program, with anything about the financing aspect of the transaction. And hey, maybe we're just sitting and waiting around for a week for the actual close of escrow date to occur and the stress is off. Right. That's the other benefit. No one's thing. worried that no one's worried. we're turning into yeah, a pumpkin. We're, we're at the last minute and we still don't have funding approval. We're not doing that. We're, tr we're getting <laughs> in a position. We're, we're basing our process on um, meeting a standard to get things done sooner rather than at the at procrastinating to the last minute. That's a great point. I'm glad you make it. Um, I forget about that. And I'll tell you what, Dan, since we went from broker to banker, um, that's been one of the sweetest things for me is the ability to control the docs and funding, um, to be able to get docs into escrow a week early. Hey everybody. And, and most of the time based on the smoothness of the transaction leading up to that point, people are rarely surprised like, Oh yeah, cool. The closing docs are here. They kind of expected it. But you know how nice it is that we get docs out and signed and then back and we're just waiting for the contractual close date to come so that we can get it done. And you know what? Sometimes 
people really are loving the benefit of the ability to close a little bit sooner. Like that seller, sometimes a seller, they did a 45 day escrow because they wanted to leave the buyer enough time. You know, they weren't in a particularly big rush, but they wanted a low pressure transaction where everyone had enough time to kind of maybe even have a bump or two in the process and still be okay. Uh, but when we get done in 25 days and we're like, hey, we're ready to fund, um, the seller, sometimes the seller goes, cool. It turns out I've already moved and I'm I'm willing to close early. And the buyers are like, hey, we're willing to close early because that'll give us some time to get in there and you know have a contractor go in and, and paint or do something like that. So they, they just like the freedom and flexibility to be able to close a little bit early um, when possible. I should also say too, that it's still real estate, so it can still get messy just because you do. It doesn't mean you're going to have no problems at all. Um, but isn't it, you know, shouldn't you be doing anything you can to, to, um, prevent those catastrophic failures or prevent those problems, those blowouts that happen the last week of escrow? Nobody wants that. The seller hates it. The buyer hates it. They're they've told everybody they they're buying a home, and now they've got some impasse that's come up in the fourth quarter. Um, nobody wants that. The realtors don't like it. Even as a lender, we hate it because it then it tarnishes our reputation. You know, we we're always we want to be known in the community as the people that um, do what we say we can do. Uh, and if we don't have that ability, the freedom of that time ahead of the, the transaction to be able to get somebody properly pre-approved, um, it, it potentially makes us look bad. So, um, anyway, that's a service that we're offering. Um, if, if any of you guys want to take advantage of it and go ahead and get pre-approved now, I pre-approved a person this week, by the way, that, that has a one year plan. Just a year down the road. Wanted to make sure that the down payment savings was appropriate, that the credit was okay. Um, all these things to get all the ducks in a row. And you know what? We came up with a plan of pay off the car and don't expense so much stuff on your Schedule C next year. That was Those were the two big takeaways from that pre-approval. Uh, but it was just about getting into a spot where um, – when the time comes that they'll be in their best potential place to to succeed at being a buyer. Um, and I, I really like that. Like I said, that makes us look good as opposed to us trying to help somebody scramble. Um, don't get me wrong. We're great scramblers, but I, I'd prefer not scramble, right? <laughs> we need to do the final commercial break here of the show. Um, if you guys want to call in and ask a question, make a comment, you can. Five, four... Five four three eight eight three zero. Wow, it's right next to you. It's well, you right know there. what's really weird? Was, I might five four three eight eight three zero. Yeah, my Thanks, attention. Jim. Good save. My no problem. Good save. I knew where it was, but then I looked down through the microphone stand. All I could see was the five four nine, and then I was like, "No, that's the eight hundred. And then I leaned forward up. There's the eight hundred. And then I leaned back, and then I saw somebody outside on the phone, and it just threw you. Anyway, I'm good. Five four three eight eight three zero. As Dave Congleton <laughs> says, 8830. Do you ever notice how he kind of rolls eight, that? Eight, three, three, zero. three. I can't do that. Three. Hmm. He does. Listen for it. Okay. You'll love it. All right. Three. Very, very crisp three. 
<laughs> we'll do a commercial break, guys. Are we ready for the break? Yes. Totally. We'll be back in a couple minutes with the rest of Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games, I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Fifteen one-run games this year. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, you guys. Um... Thanks for uh, listening. To it's the... about to beatbox or something. Oh, I did thought you? so too. You know, we're just going to rap version of the show here. I never was a big beatboxer. You know what I was though? Um, like <laughs> hand beats on the wall or the desk uh, or like whatever. A pencil tapper kind of guy. Kind of. Yeah. But like me and my brother, my older brother and I used to, when we were kids, we would do beats against the wall, like when we shared a bedroom wall. Mm. And so, like you, speaking in Morse code, you could do a beat, and then and then he would hear the beat and do a beat back, and we would, you know, kind of, uh, I bet your parents loved that. No, we we, <laughs> we got so yelled at. So you'd be trying to do your, you know, keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. Anyway, beatboxing. Yeah. Hmm. Did you want to talk about the A's at all? If this is the first time this year I've seen you getting excited about the A's a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had a rough, rough start to the season. Yeah, maybe. We but it's better to out. be good later, right? You know what? I've 
if they're going to lose this year, I'm just excited to see what who they who they trade and what kind of prospects they get. Building for the future. Kind of like your Cuz we know Albert Pujols is only getting older. Yeah, been home runs. And who else do they have? I mean, Mike Trout, You're Cole Calhoun, and then who? Yeah, then and who? Then who? Oh no! A, a bunch of guys. Did you miss 200. the Ionetta Grand Slam? Yeah. What's is he batting over two hundred now? I don't know. <laughs> it gotta be getting close. Let me look that up for you. <laughs> yeah. There you go. We went out to a a, a Blues game mm. last weekend. That Jason was brought very the kids. fun. Yeah, brought my kids. It was pretty fun. Sounds fun. That's that's baseball really the blues are five and oh this year to start the season sadly chris sinet is batting 173 (laughs) sorry (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah we're doing a seventh inning stretch in the show right here we are like a eighth or ninth inning stretch (laughs) yeah 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 um well you know i'm i'm about plumb out of the the notes part of what i brought did you hear that was it los angeles has approved a 15 dollar i did per hour minimum minimum wage, wage. Yeah. it's not it's in gradual steps and i think the 15 dollar doesn't hit until 2020 yeah help is on the way though which is i think kind of funny it's a great headline grabber but the California minimum wage is already scheduled to go up to $10 next year. And it's likely going to already be on a pace to go higher. So they're probably really just approving something that's already going to be a state requirement anyway. I'm just curious, though, and I don't want to do a whole nother minimum wage debate, but um, take, for example, some like a business that pays minimum wage, like I don't Let's let's say Chipotle. How about the grocery store? Do they pay minimum wage? I think for a brand new bagger. Yeah. I bet there are people in there making less than fifteen bucks an hour. Sure, Probably, yeah. definitely. All right, so then yeah, grocery store. Um, aren't then? I mean, in in every grocery store in LA, it's going to be under the same pinch, right? Because they they all are experiencing an increased labor cost, so. What then happens? The goods then have to go up, right? So then, and this is what I wanted to say about Chipotle. Is there going to be like a Chipotle in Ventura County, right? That's like just over the line where those guys are still making 950 but the burritos are 550 And then you go into LA County, is it county or city? It's probably city. So maybe uh, anyway, you get my point. Yeah, you could cross the street. Are there going to be different pricing areas? structures? Does there on have region? to be? Possibly. I don't know enough about that business model to know if they already do that. You know, because California's minimum wage right now is nine dollars, but in other states they might be following the federal minimum wage, which is what seven twenty-five still or something. So then like their that? stores are just more profitable in those other states if they're holding. Possibly, they might look at the whole chain across the whole country as far as profitability, while still looking at individual store metrics. But maybe their pricing is universal among all stores, kind of. Factoring that in. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about their model, but that's an interesting question. Well, you see the rabbit hole I go down. Yeah. Is that, you know, I, I 
believe me, I, everybody deserves to make enough money to live comfortably. I, I'll be the first to get on in on that argument. Did you know that San Francisco already has a $15 per hour minimum wage? Yeah, but I mean, I don't have enough experience in San Francisco. Everything seems more expensive to me there. Like when I have to park my car there or if we eat there or whatever. I mean, everything that I do there is a lot more expensive. Even a hotel there is so much more expensive. Payrolls rose in 40 states in April. <clears throat> and the unemployment rate fell in 23. California led the nation in rising payrolls. Well, it's like the most expensive place in the nation to live, right? It is. So you got to expect that it's going to, that you got to pay the people here a little bit more, right? Yeah. If it's not the top, there are places in the state that place. are. Yeah. And as, as you kind of go through the whole thing, I mean, it, it's going to share the top spots. It's up there. It's expensive. Paradise. It's the paradise tax. So payrolls are rising though. Isn't that good? That's good for the economy. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and that's what one of the primary things that everybody wants to see happen this year. And by the way, how better to create some inflation then than raise up the cost of right. labor? That's going to increase the cost of goods. It has to. I, I always go back like I, I thought about um, I thought about opening up a frozen yogurt shop. And I figured I'd probably do it in like Los Osos or maybe Morro Bay. Do you guys have a frozen yogurt place in Morro Bay? If you and your family and your kids are obviously still a little bit young for this, but let's just say it's like the last day of school and you want to go get an ice cream cone somewhere. There is a dessert shop on there Morro is. Bay Boulevard. Yeah. Okay. Kind of near um, the theater. Anyway, my point is that there's not a lot of that in the coast. Not like here. I mean, here they, we have Battle of the Froyos in downtown Slow now. Yeah, they're, they're putting in right new ones. They're the like right across the street from each other. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like taffy and candy places in Morro Bay, but I don't know that there's a frozen yogurt place. So I priced out. Um, what what does it take? I looked at all the machines, the goods, the average like price per ounce of a pour of yogurt, and what you charge price per ounce. Go through the whole thing. Um, it probably won't shock you to know that after an initial capital outlay for buying. The machines, right? Because you can lease or buy them. But you go through the whole thing, you know what you're contending then with? Some rent. Got to have yourself some rent. And and ideally, you want some rent that you can control. Um, but labor, that's it right there. That, that hourly labor cost of what does it take to put somebody into your spot? And, I mean, Froyo is like, that's a minimum wage job, right? Definitely stand back there and work the register. Make sure that you go wipe off the counters. You mm -hmm. know? So anyway, but that was a thing. And and then once you start playing around with the labor costs, you really start to go wow. And and for me, I did I did a, like a little f kind of pseudo business plan about um, how many yogurts you could sell a day. That was how I based mine. So I think in Los Osos during the week you're gonna sell. Um, less than you probably would on the weekend, right? 
And so just start to back into it. Say you're going to sell on a weekday night, you're going to sell 100 cups of frozen yogurt. And then on a weekend, you're going to sell um, 250 cups a day of frozen yogurt. So you start to do the math and figure the whole thing out. The labor cost proves to be where it's at. This is a business that, from what I could tell, you could probably, you would have to work there to make it work for you, but you could probably make a few thousand bucks a month. Oh, there is a yogurt shop. In there. Oh, at Maine. Oh, 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 okay. So you'd either have to work Maine there. Maine and Morro Bay Boulevard. And I thought, like, yeah. you know, because my, my wife works in the house. She she doesn't have a jobby job. Um, but my kids are approaching their teenage years. And so I thought, yeah, if we had a yogurt shop where you could the kids could work there and, and my wife could kind of run the thing and you could do the thing. Um also providing kind of something in your local community, create a couple jobs. You'd have to kind of be pretty involved in it for what seems like you could make like three thousand bucks a month, four thousand bucks a month. If you now take $15 minimum wage and reroute those numbers tell you, you got two choices really close the yogurt shop (laughs) or I guess there are three raise the price. There are three no longer make profit. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Close it or I'm raising the price of the yogurt. I mean, yogurt's not going away. Froyo's aren't going away. So they're just going to be more expensive. Yeah. So then, you know, and that, that to me, that's, that feels like the minimum wage argument is if you put the increased wages in, maybe the big corporate companies can figure out how to float those better because they work in different states and cities and stuff and can make it all work out. They work on scale. On but we don't want to drive. Millions of units. We don't want to drive business towards the huge corporate model. The ideal business is the little mom pa shop in every city. And the tough thing about that is that, you know, those things have great impact. Um, Hey, guys, if you need any loan help at all, um, give us a call this week. 543-LOAN rings all of our offices. We'd love to hear from you. Um, If you want to get into that pre-approval process to figure out how to position yourself to buy a home, um, those are uh, the best best possible calls for us. 543-LOAN. You can go to our website and look us up, centralcoastlending.com. There's lots of stuff there for you to check out, read about the loan programs. Um, There's even a loan application. If you feel so inclined, you can set up an account and fill out a loan application, and one of our loan officers will contact you this week. Um, It is a great time to get involved in the real estate market. Um, Call us if you want to buy or refinance a home. Just call 543-LOAN. Thanks much for being with us. That's a jingle, isn't it? We love that. Thanks so much for being with us, everybody. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters.